0: M S W media Thanks to Ramp for supporting the Daily Beans. Ramp is a corporate card and financial software suite designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. And right now, you get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com/beans. And a big thanks to Athletic Greens for supporting the Daily Beans. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com/slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hello and welcome to The Daily Beans for Monday, July 18th, 2022. Today, the Department of Justice adds prosecutors and widens its investigation into the hub and spoke conspiracy surrounding January 6th. U.S. Secret Service is subpoenaed for its text messages during the attack on the Capitol after the Department of Homeland Security Office of Inspector General briefed the select committee. The Justice Department says it will not use an OLC memo to stop them from indicting Meadows for contempt. The Fulton County District Attorney, Fonnie Willis, sends target letters to three top Republicans. The New York Attorney General delays the Trump's deposition in the wake of the death of Ivana Trump. The Department of Justice offered Navarro a plea deal and he rejected it. Prosecutors moved to add a terrorism enhancement to the Guy Reffitt sentencing memo. The person who delivered the fraudulent elector certificate they wanted Ron Johnson to personally hand to Mike Pence on January 6th has been identified. A judge orders Arizona Republicans and the Cyber Ninjas to immediately turn over all documents related to the fraud it. Another Republican candidate is removed from the ballot for submitting fake signatures. Bannon tries one more time to delay his trial. Biden drops the nomination of an anti-abortion lawyer for federal judgeship. And another lawyer is added to the pile of Trump advisors promoting martial law. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. We did it. It's a record. That
1: was a record. Did you did you deliver any news while I was gone, or did you save it all for today?
0: <laughs> yeah, I just didn't do anything all the whole time.
1: I had a feeling you're the laziest person <laughs> I know, honey. <laughs> <laughs> and so many uh, people, you got messages, I got messages. I promise, Daily Beans listeners, I will not leave you... If I have any choice in this, and it will not be without announcement, I had to go and work um, in a place where I didn't have Wi-Fi. And so I'm still here, thank goodness, and I'm back in your ears. I will be taking another long break at the end of this week, and we'll unfortunately be doing that on and off until the middle of September. But I am here, I'm with you, and I miss
0: you when I'm gone as well. Thank you for that. I am glad you're back. Everyone thought I pushed you down some stairs or something. I figured.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's all sketch fest.
0: It is. Uh, And today is going to be a lightning round of news because everything, literally everything, dropped this weekend. Uh, We'll do our best to get it all in. I'll also be speaking with the Dem candidate for the winnable 23rd district in Texas, John Lira. And uh, Bannon, just real quick, he tried one more time, put in one le- again, b- filed a motion to delay his trial till October. And the judge is like, nah, we're going to voir dear everybody. It's going to work. And if it doesn't, you can bring it up then. So trial starts today. Jury selection starts today. We're going to trial. All right. Let's try to get through all of this intense, amazing, uh, sometimes frustrating, usually funny, huge batch of news. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. I don't even know where to start today, so I'm just going to pick my two favorites. First up, the Justice Department declared Friday that the January 6th Select Committee has adequately justified its subpoena for testimony and documents from Mark Meadows, former chief of staff, to Donald Trump in the White House. That conclusion came as part of a landmark filing. This is a huge deal, Dana, taking a position for the first time ever that former advisors to presidents who have left office are not absolutely immune from congressional subpoenas. Last month, U.S. District Courts Judge Carl Nichols asked the Justice Department to let him know if there's any immunity here for Meadows. Is he entitled to any immunity in this dispute? And that's what this filing was, was the Department of Justice saying, no, he doesn't have absolute immunity. With respect to Meadows, Shapiro argues the select committee had met its burden. But also, this is the DOJ saying that the Office of Legal Counsel memo did not stop them from indicting Meadows. It wasn't an OLC memo. Remember how everyone was like, oh, they probably, you know, if you can just not indict someone for contempt of Congress because of a stupid OLC memo, then you, you know, you suck. So it wasn't the OLC memo. So what stopped them is something called prosecutorial discretion. Either they think Meadows did nothing wrong <laughs> right. or or they're looking at him for far more and They can always indict him for contempt if they change their minds. That's what happened in the Navarro case. If you remember, they subpoenaed the Department of Justice, subpoenaed him for all of his communications with Donald Trump. They named Donald Trump in the subpoena and they offered him a deal. And we'll get into that in a bit. He said, fuck you. So the next day they indicted him for contempt. I think they did the same with Meadows, except Meadows didn't say, fuck you, because Meadows isn't an idiot and he doesn't have a garbage lawyer. So. It's something other than fuck you from <laughs> from <for> Meadows. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I think had Meadows said, fuck you, they'd have indicted him. Too. I think Meadows is probably, oh, fuck me. Yeah. Now I have to get a think lawyer. <laughs> and I think it's kind of ridiculous to think the Department of Justice just decided to let him go for everything. You know, I, I don't think that that's what's happening. But this is huge. And also Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis has sent target letters to three prominent Georgia Republicans including the Republican candidate for lieutenant governor next to Kemp there, Bert Jones, uh, also the chair of the Georgia Republican Party. David Schaefer got one and Georgia State Senator Brandon Beach. Now, Jones and Schaefer took part in the fake elector meeting and both signed their names to the fraudulent certificate, which was then sent to the National Archives. Mail fraud. Whoopsie. So <laughs> there's no reporting on what Brandon Beach did, but I can't be good. But Dana, a target letter is basically a heads up that you're facing criminal indictment. It gives the target a chance to lawyer up. And it also is kind of a pressure tool. Pressure puts pressure on them to come on in, to come on down to the district attorney's office and beg for a deal, if you dare. Fonnie Willis has said she could make charging decisions about Donald himself as soon as this fall. And I would love to see it. And speaking
1: of badass women, New York Attorney General, to shame, said the depositions of former President Donald Trump, Ivanka Trump, and Donald Trump Jr. in connection with the New York Attorney General's civil investigation into the family's businesses practices, they've been delayed due to the death of Donald's first wife, Ivana. As uh, the story has been told, she fell, (laughs) I say it like that because I don't know, she fell downstairs at her home and her death has been ruled an accident. For now. She died. I'm sorry. I can't. It's, 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 you just have to slip that stuff in there. She did die of blunt force trauma. Uh, no information yet on the date of the rescheduled deposition. So um, I, I, it's truly a sad loss, obviously. But with that family, I wouldn't put anything past them. Let's be honest.
0: No. And honestly, this is something we would at any other year prior to the previous five would just take at face value. Of course. It would, which is a horrible accident. But like you said, it's hard to not question things these days. Yeah, I I remember when Joyce Vance quoted me in her article in Time magazine about the death of Jeffrey Epstein. And I said, you know, whether you believe the DOJ had a hand in it or turned a blind eye or didn't do anything, nobody trusts this administration. And that is borne out in the fact that all everyone on Twitter is like, "Mm, that's a little sus. A hundred percent. About Ivana falling down the stairs and from the conservative rag, the Wall Street Journal of all papers. The Justice Department is adding prosecutors and resources to its investigation, the actions of the former guy and his allies to overturn the election in 2020. And that's according to a bunch of people familiar with the matter. A Justice Department team focusing on the elements of the investigation beyond just the violence at the Capitol has in recent weeks been given more personnel, more office space and an expanded mandate. Now, Mr. Wyndham, who I've talked about and threaded about and told you about, they brought him in from Delaware, he previously met with some skepticism within the department when he pushed to explore the activities of several members of Trump's inner circle, according to The People, with some officials believing prosecutors lacked sufficient evidence to pursue those paths. But Wyndham has convinced them otherwise and appears to have been proven right with the explosive recent testimony of Cassidy Hutchinson. But the sources told The Wall Street Journal that the Department of Justice isn't relying on the committee to move forward as Wyndham and Graves are doing that on their own. Quote, a testimony of former White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson in particular, including her allegation that Donald knew of some of the protesters could be armed, but wanted them at his rally in the Capitol anyway, has broadened some justice department officials view of the potential scope of the probe. According to people, uh, though officials said the testimony did not prompt any change in their investigative strategy. I'll repeat that. Officials said Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony did not prompt any change in the investigative strategy because they've been doing the investigation and they're going to keep doing the investigation and they don't do shit based on what happens in Congress. Top Justice Department leaders and prosecutors on the case have said they aren't taking cues from the congressional inquiry and its widely televised hearings, stressing that their investigation is operating separately. Now, of particular interest to me, Dana, is that they're adding more prosecutors, not investigators. And I think that's indicative of where the DOJ is at right now. The prosecution part. I would love to think so. Right. And as far as sources saying they've expanded their mandate, I'm thinking that has to do with the obstruction piece, missing text messages, burning documents, eating documents, flushing them down a toilet, stealing boxes of papers, intimidating witnesses, dangling pardons. I'm thinking the DOJ is on it. We learned this weekend that the, the DOJ, as I said, had offered Pete Navarro a plea deal after subpoenaing him for communications with Trump, and he rejected that offer. Now, they were going to drop one count, by the way, and recommend the minimum 30 days in prison for the other count. 30 days in prison. And he refused.
1: Which is, uh, you would think, not much. And he still said no. He's, he's nope. a dummy. He's a dummy. And of course, speaking of DOJ being badass, the Justice Department said Friday that Guy Reffitt, the Texas three percenter who became the first Capitol riot defendant to go to trial, deserves a terrorism enhancement and 15 years in prison for instigating the mob that first breached the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Now, Refit was convicted by a jury in March of five felony counts in connection with the riot. Refit, who has retained new counsel and is expected to appeal his conviction, is scheduled to be sentenced on August 1st. And Friday, prosecutors asked U.S. Judge Dabney Friedrich to end that hearing by ordering Refit to serve the longest sentence in any January 6th case to date, and that would be 15 years in prison. And according to the government sentencing memo, a, a pretrial report estimated Reffitt's recommended sentencing guidelines at 9 to 11.25 years, while well, prosecutors argued the range should be even higher, 11.25 to 14 years, and that Reffitt's conduct warrants an even further upward departure. An amendment included in the Anti-Terrorism and if- if- Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996 it allowed anyone convicted of a federal crime of terrorism, not just international terrorism, to receive an upward departure in their sentence. So this has been written into law. And 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 though Refit was not convicted of a crime of terrorism, per se, prosecutors say the sentencing guidelines allow for the upward departure in cases like his specifically. So
0: I hope he yeah. gets every fucking day of it. So it seems like ever since Graves and then Wyndham got there, they're like, we're doing all this shit. We're putting terrorism stuff on here. We're adding seditious conspiracy charges. We're doing the we're making the hard calls. And that that's what brings me a little peace. Uh, And the January 6th committee has subpoenaed the U.S. Secret Service for text messages sent and received during the critical days surrounding the insurrection. Uh, Major Biden was right when he lunged at and bit the Secret Service agent. (laughs) Dogs know, man. The Department of Homeland Security, Office of Inspector General, briefed the January 6th committee Friday morning and told them, told the committee, that the Secret Service had changed their story multiple times about why they haven't handed over those texts. The latest excuse was that the agency was doing some systems migration work and some phones lost their data. Oh, how convenient. Now, having worked for the federal government myself for over a decade, that is fucking stupid. The Secret Service... (laughs) says they'd been planning to do this systems migration in January 2021. And I can agree with that part of the statement. When you do a systems migration, you plan it for months in advance, right? And then they continued with it after the attack on the Capitol. That is ridiculous. They also said, hey, the inspector general didn't ask us for stuff until February 26th, but they failed to mention that two congressional committees, House Intelligence and House Oversight, asked them for the shit January 16th, 10 days after the attack on the Capitol. And never got what they wanted. And finally, I've been through phone updates and data migrations and systems migrations. They bring you in one at a time. You got a number and a day and a time that you come in. Because they got to do this for like thousands of people. Right. And so you do the thing. You trade the device. You wipe the old one. And first of all, all your shit, including your emails and text messages, are downloaded on the new device from the cloud. And let's say it was something else. Let's say, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say, yeah, the the data migration fucked up the data. It erased it all somehow. It was a weird thing. So you're telling me that the IT administrators brought in the first guy, did whatever the thing was, wiped all of his data and said, oh, oh, well, next. (laughs) Let's bring in the next guy, do the same thing to his phone. And just kept doing it from January 6th to February 26th. After everyone's shit was getting erased over and over. Fuck you. The Secret Service is corrupt. And I look forward to seeing what they hand over. They have, Dana, until tomorrow.
1: You know, remember that story we did, A.G., and I know this is in the news, but the Secret Service being bribed and how those two guys somehow infiltrated the Secret (laughs) Service. And we were like, how could that possibly happen? Well, it all makes a lot more fucking sense now how it could have possibly happened. Yeah. Uh, Oh, uh my goodness. Anyway. Oh, and A.G., you remember the Crazy Times Carnival in Arizona, that election audit with the Cyber Ninjas? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, Arizona Superior Court judges ordered that the Arizona Republican Senate and the Cyber Ninjas must hand over all documents with a substantial nexus to the audit to watchdog American oversight. And this is a quote. The Arizona Court of Appeals
0: concluded that the documents relating to the audit are yeah, public records. I think it's you. just like a 14I public record subject to the public records law in Arizona. They have one of those kind of like. Ah, thank
1: stuff. you for the insertion. I was like, what does that even say? And um, yeah, so This is a quote. The Arizona Court of Appeals concluded documents relating to the audit are public records. They're subject to PRL, even if they are in possession of cyber ninjas rather than in the Senate. Now, it's thereby ordered that defendants immediately provide American oversight with access to any and all documents with a substantial nexus to audit activities and that there is no just reason for the delay. Now, of course, they don't want to hand it all over because it would expose the fact that no fraud happened in Arizona, even after Biden won the state 45 times, <laughs> that no fraud was found. And at the end, the Arizona Republican, it's just a, it was a grift. The whole thing was. So we're going to keep you posted on the deposition of the document production as we learn more about
0: it. But that's where that case is at the moment. Yeah, they don't want to hand that shit over. They won't be able to, to keep asking for money. They will still. But, you know, of course, it'll, it'll end their little chowade. Uh, And remember when reporters chased Ron Johnson down to ask him why his chief of staff was trying to get Pence's chief of staff to tell him to deliver something to Pence on January 6th? Why, yes, yes, I do. He's like, I can see your screen. You're not on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) There was even a text exchange during one of the January 6th committee hearings where Pence's chief of staff was like, what is it? And Ron Johnson's guy was like, alternate elector certificates for Trump. And the Pence guy said, don't give him that. (laughs) Well, Ron eventually admitted that someone hand-delivered that certificate to Mark Kelly's office, who's a rep from PA, who then tried to get Ron to hand-deliver it to Pence. Well, we now know who gave the fraudulent elector certificates to Kelly, to Mark Kelly. It was a Trump campaign official, a staffer named Mike Roman. He's the, he was the director for Donald's 2020 Election Day operations. Oh, good Lord. The one-time Trump White House researcher and former aide to the Koch Network... Was subpoena- he was subpoenaed in February by the January 6th Select Committee, but he did not respond to multiple requests for comment for this story. I don't know if he responded to that subpoena or not. I suspect we'll be hearing more about this fellow in weeks to come. <laughs> I would think so. He seems to be in a lot of trouble now. Mm-hmm. And um, speaking of little-known lawyers,
1: which we often do a lot when we're talking about the Trump circle, we're going to be hearing more about these ones particularly. Around five in the afternoon on Christmas Day 2020, many Americans were celebrating with family, Well, Donald was at his Mar-a-Lago home in Palm Beach, Florida, on the phone with a little-known conservative lawyer who was encouraging his attempts to overturn the election. That's according to a memo the lawyer later wrote documenting
0: the call, which is lovely. Hey, when you, you know, just put your crimes down on paper and send them in emails.
1: I love it. I love it. The lawyer, William J. Olson, was promoting several extreme ideas to the president, and Mr. Olson later conceded that part of his plan could be regarded as to declaring, quote, martial law, and that another aspect could invite comparisons with Watergate. These are her his words, by the way. The plan included tampering with the Justice Department and firing the active Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen, and that's according to December 28th memo by Mr. Olson himself titled, quote, preserving constitutional order. Hmm. And uh, quote went on to say, Our little band of lawyers is working on a memorandum that explains exactly what to do, Mr. Olson wrote in his memo, and that was obtained by the New York Times, which he marked, quote, privileged and confidential, and then sent it to the president. (laughs) Went on to say the media will call this martial law, he wrote, and adding that it's fake news, of course, which is what they all say. Now, the involvement of a person like Mr. Olson, who now represents a conspiracy theorist and my pillow chief executive Mike Lindell, He underscores how the system that would normally insulate a president from rogue actors operating outside of official channels has broken down within weeks after the 2020 election. Olson's memo was written 10 days after the crazy December 18th meeting in the Oval Office with Powell and the Overstock guy, Flynn, Rudy, just just to name a few of the people that were in there. And the memo indicates that Mr. Trump was acting on outside advice. Now, at one point, it refers to the president urging Mr. Olson to contact the acting attorney general. About having the Justice Department lend its credibility to Mr. Trump's legal efforts to invalidate the election results, which is definitely when Barr was like, I'm fucking out of here. <laughs> now, a, p- a person familiar with the work of the House committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol said the committee was aware that Mr. Olson was in contact with Mr. Trump and that it was exploring Mr. Olson's role in pushing forward plans to overturn the 2020 election. So, we're gonna hear a lot more
0: about Mr. Olson in the coming weeks, I would imagine. I imagine, too. And in in the segment I like to call debunking bullshit about Biden, uh, the White House is abandoning plans, quote unquote, to nominate a Kentucky lawyer who opposes abortion rights and is backed by Mitch McConnell to a federal court seat, citing opposition from Senator Rand Paul. The prospective nominee, Chad Meredith, had successfully defended Kentucky's anti-abortion law as a lawyer for the state. Biden's plan to nominate him, I don't think ever existed because everyone says it didn't. But it was made public by the Louisville Courier Journal just before the Supreme Court overturned Roe. So here's what really happened. Rand Paul blocked this judge. McConnell went to Biden to cut a deal through Ron Klain that never came to fruition. Quote, there was no deal said McConnell, adding that Biden's consideration represented a kind of collegiality and once routine cooperation on home state judges that has diminished in recent years. Quote, this was a personal friendship gesture, he said. So, you know, I never thought this was going to happen. That's why I didn't report on it before. You haven't heard about it on this show. But yeah, I, I wasn't thinking that Biden was going to trade judges. Yeah. And nominate a, an anti-choice judge. I just didn't see it happening. And it's not happening. I agree. And this last story that we can file under
1: Republican fuckery, <laughs> because there seems to be a lot of it going around.
0: <laughs> we could file the whole
1: podcast the whole under Republican, Republican fuckery. fuckery. Maybe that's what the title of this episode is. <laughs> the New York State Board of Elections has tossed out thousands of signatures that Rep. Lee Zeldin's, and he's a Republican gubernatorial campaign, That, that thousands of signatures were thrown out on something they filed to get him included on an independent party ballot line in the general election, okay? Now, out of the 52,096 signatures offered by Zeldin's campaign, 12,868 were invalidated by officials, and that's according to Gotham Gazette. Now, in order for a party, a third party, to be included on the ballot, AG, at least 45,000 valid signatures are required. So candidates can't have their names included on more than one ballot line, which is interesting. Now, incumbent governor, Kathy Hochul, who we love so much, will have her name on the Democratic Party and Working Families party lines, the news outlet noted. Now, Zeldin, the GOP nominee, will have his name on the Conservative Party and Republican Party tickets. But not the Independent Party line. Correct.
0: Because he didn't get enough signatures.
1: (laughs) The State Board of Elections decision could be overridden by a judge, and that's according to the Times Union. So we're going to keep you posted on that, though I seriously doubt New York is in jeopardy of electing a Republican governor at this point. I think Kathy Hochul is going to get you know, have that position again. She's a badass. She's, she's, she's well liked. Uh, and I, I, think people are going to make sure she gets in office. So those are, those are where my beans are. I don't think we have to worry. Same, but vote, vote still. Yes. Don't be like, I oh, oh have to worry. you have to vote. Yeah, shit.
0: <sighs> All right. We made it through the news. Woo. Next up is the flip it blue segment with a totally winnable district in Texas. I'll chat with John Lira after the break. Stay with us.
2: After these messages, will be read. Right-
0: Hey, everybody. It's AG. As you know, I started taking Athletic Greens AG1 every morning because I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great while giving me more energy and all the supplements that I need. With one delicious scoop of AG1 by Athletic Greens, you get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day. The special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, and aging. I take Athletic Greens wherever I go and now is a good time for you to start because Athletic Greens is offering you a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs too with your first purchase when you go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. And I love that AG1 contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no chemicals, no artificial anything, and it's delicious. Plus, in 2020, Athletic Greens purchased carbon credits that support projects protecting old growth rainforests. And right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every morning. That's it. Easy habit to pick up. No need for a million different pills and supplements to take every day. You know when you, <laughs> I mean that was so expensive and time consuming. And now you can look out for your health with just one delicious scoop of AG1. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you that free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and those five free travel packs with your first purchase when you visit athleticgreens.com/dailybeans. Again, that's athleticgreens.com/dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And as you know, I used to have trouble sleeping all the time, but then Helix came to my rescue with an amazing mattress that fixed all my sleep problems because it's designed for me. I was sleeping on a bed made for someone else. Who knew? Well, Helix Sleep has an online sleep quiz, takes just two minutes to complete, and it matches your body type and preferences to the perfect mattress. Uh, why would you buy that mattress for someone else? It seems silly, and you don't have to go to a mattress store anymore because with Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for you in the way you sleep. Everyone is unique. Helix knows that, so they have several different mattresses to choose from, Soft, medium, firm, body temperature regulating, spinal alignment, a plus-size mattress for plus-size sleepers. It's really amazing. And when I took the Helix quiz, I was matched with the Midnight, the Helix Midnight, because I like a medium-firm bed and I sleep on my side. So yay me. So go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans, take their online two-minute sleep quiz, order your customized mattress, and start having the best sleep of your life. There's free shipping, a 10-year warranty, Helix even has financing options available, and they were awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired magazine. And Helix has been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and, of course, doctors of sleep medicine as a great go-to solution for improving your sleep. Right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners at helixsleep.com dailybeans daily beans. That's Helix Sleep, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com dailybeans daily beans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time to flip it blue. I'm blue. Now. And today we are talking with the Democratic candidate for the U.S. Congressional District known as Texas's 23rd. Please welcome John Lira. Hi, John. How are you?
2: Hello, Allison. It's a great pleasure to be on the show. I'm a great fan of the Daily Beans. So uh, the fact that I get to uh, talk with you and, you know, kind of put put awareness out to your audience and your following is a great, great. I'm very grateful for it.
0: Well, I am a great fan of yours. You crushed it in the primary on on March 1st. And you're a veteran and you're a dad. And I want to talk to you about so many things and, and so many issues that you are running on against your opponent, Tony Gonzalez, in the 23rd District, Congressional District. But first, tell us about the district. Where is it? Where does it lie on the map? Who, who lives there? Who are the constituents that you want to represent?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Texas 23 is the biggest congressional district we have in Texas. It spans from Bear County, which is essentially San Antonio, all the way out west to El Paso and as far down south as just above Laredo, 29 total counties in this district. Uh, If it was a state, it would be the 25th biggest state in our country. So as you can see, um, that's, you know, Marines like doing the easy things, right? So we jumped into this one because it's always one of the most competitive as well. I mean, uh, we have a lot of things that are uh, at the forefront of a lot of our national politics today. We have 820 miles of Texas-Mexico border, and you know, over 150 border communities along that border. But also we have, you know, Blue origins in the district blasting people off into outer space. We have uh, part of the Permian Basin, which is the world's second largest supply of oil. And then we have some of the poorest zip codes in El Paso County still that are still struggling just to get rural broadband for their students so there's a lot of uh, unique challenges especially of course forgot to mention that this is a district uh where that unfortunate tragedy at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde just recently occurred so uh texas 23 is absolutely at the forefront of national politics i like to say what goes on in this district uh, not only impacts texas not only impacts our country but in many cases uh, you know uh, impacts what happens in the globally as well
0: And speaking of competitiveness, the 23rd has gone back and forth between Democratic and Republican hands, you know, on and off for the last couple of decades. Talk a little bit about it. I find that very fascinating considering the demographics and just the sheer size of the of the district itself. Twenty nine counties is massive. And so talk a little bit about how how and why this is so competitive and and the stark differences, because. While it's remained competitive, the the politics of each party have changed dramatically. What sort of advantages does your platform have over your opponents, particularly considering your uh, gun reform positions?
2: Absolutely. Well, this—the history of Texas 23 is that it was drawn a 50-50 swing district. Back a couple of a couple of redistricting cycles ago, um, they wanted to make this a 50-50 fight. So that's why, in a lot of ways, it was one of the hardest districts, not only in size to win. But in in political uh, demographics to hold as well. So um, after redistricting this time around, they did shade it a couple of, of shades uh, pinker, but not, they didn't do it any real you know they didn't do us any real damage compared to some of the other districts in Texas. But you're absolutely right. If you think about it, we have some very blue um, counties like the Winter Garden area down in Maverick and Dimmit and LaSalle County. You know, Del Rio is part of that. Uh, Eagle Pass is down, uh, a part of that. El Paso and definitely San Antonio. But then it has some of the most rural and some of the most Ruby Red counties also uh, in the state as well like in You County Winkler County Crane County so um that's what makes up that interesting dynamic this is a district that plays well for moderates if you remember the Republican Will Hurd in a lot of ways uh Will Hurd you know was able in a lot of ways to rise above some of the very uh you know vitriolic partisan politics uh to kind of be that moderate, even though he had a pretty staunch Republican voting record. Uh, When he came to the district, he, he showed that he was able to listen and to have an honest conversation with both Democrats and Republicans alike. So I think in a lot of ways... I am a moderate candidate. That's not who I'm trying to be. I mean, this is just through how I was raised, you know, in a working class family where, you know, we didn't necessarily have money to throw at all our problems. We had to use our finite resources very strategically. But also at the age of 17, when I raised my hand to join the Marine Corps, and you know, that in 11 and a half years, two combat tours to Iraq, you know, uh, very, you know, worked in intelligence, so have a strong national security background. I also worked at the U.S. Small Business Administration. And a lot of these counties, uh, big corporations have forgot about them. So they are run by family-owned small businesses, minority-owned small businesses, women-owned small businesses. So, uh, you know, definitely have a great uh Profile for this district, my competitor, my opponent is also a Hispanic veteran like myself. Uh, So, you know, I think in a lot of ways, my policies are are, are right in line with the district. And again, it's not about too much when you get rural, uh, very rural uh, districts like this you know party politics doesn't really have too much of a play it's the person that they vote for the person who gets out there to their small communities of 200 or less or sometimes just a little bit more but actually makes the effort to meet them and have honest conversations and that's what we've been doing in spades this election
0: and let's talk about some of those issues that that appeal to the voters of your your district it's a very unique district as you said we know that um new polling shows that at least sixty percent of Americans, including a lot of independents and moderates, would like for Roe to have remained in place. We know that over eighty percent and sometimes higher are polling that Americans want just new common sense gun laws to help prevent mass shootings and, and gun violence in this country, and then of course, jobs and economy right that's shifting over to to be a democratic issue and I, and and so those are the kinds of things that uh, you know, are being brought up in in the center now. These are these have become the kitchen table issues this year, and and I was wondering how how you t- speak to those three main issues. We could start with uh, we could start with jobs in the economy and energy because that always is part of that.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I think people are recognizing that Democratic uh, policies are are benefiting rural communities. If you think about it, the Democrats with bipartisan support, with no bipartisan support actually, passed the American Rescue Plan that has given millions of dollars to our small rural communities to help them recover from COVID. These are bold actions um, taken by the Democrats. Another one is the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Man, I can tell you, rural communities have been waiting for a bill like this for almost a couple of decades now, probably since the New Deal, quite frankly. Um, but the Democrats, again, put forth a bold agenda. I mean, when can, you know, when else would you want to put forth something, a bold investment in our communities and after a global pandemic? So I think they're starting to see exactly that. They're finally getting uh, happy to see that there's some money for their to get their roads repaired, for some pro- get some government projects into the district, get the fi- uh, the tractors fired up, get the electricians working again, get the plumbers working again. Also, you know. As I mentioned before, big corporations have proven that it's not lucrative for them to move into these small rural communities. So, in a lot of ways, these government projects and these, you know, uh, are are very are, are godsend for them. You know, they want to they want these projects in their communities. So that's been fantastic. Uh, I still travel all across West Texas. I've been zigzagging across these rural communities and a lot of stores that have shuttered and businesses that have shuttered post-COVID have not opened up yet. So there's a real interest, you know, in helping these communities revive through that. So absolutely. And you mentioned oil and gas, you know, they are some of the best. And I wouldn't say just oil and gas. I would say energy all around, because not only does our district produce, probably is probably one of the largest Uh, drillers of of oil or producers of of oil, but also we're one of the largest producers of renewable energy that we have the space and we have the hot sun and the strong wind for solar farms and for wind farms. And you can see them spread out all throughout our district. So these are good jobs and we want these jobs to stay in our communities. And um, I could also tell you in the line of, uh, in, in the kind of frame of jobs out here in rural Texas, is that I've talked to many farmers and many ranchers and factory owners out here, and um, they want Migrants to help them. They need a workforce. And they're saying, I'm not too sure why we're sending them all back. You know, we could employ them, we can house them, we can feed them, we'll pay them, we can tax them, but we need this critical workforce out here so that we can, you know, help feed our nation, help fuel our nation. So, um, in that aspect, migrants also have a very critical role to play in helping us recover and revive from this pandemic, especially economically out here in Texas 23. But moving on to uh, like you said, the the abortion, you know, it's a a very, you know, it's a sensitive issue out here, as it should be for for, for a lot of places. Um, There is a lot of Hispanic Americans, Mexican Americans. There's a lot of Catholics as well, you know, and Catholic and Mexican Americans, they could be with they could be with Democrats on 97.35 percent of the issue. But that one issue about abortion makes them feel uneasy enough to, quite frankly, not get them to vote for a Democrat. So, you know, my approach to it has been I said, I'm a proud Catholic. I've I've been a devout uh, Catholic, you know, all my life. And but I'm also a father of a 16 year old, and I'm also the uncle of four nieces. We're an entire generation of little ladies uh, coming up in the world and in America, and I don't want any medical procedures or options to be off the table with them, including reproductive health care, and including an abortion if they so choose to have one. You know, it pains me that uh, you know that right has been taken away from them in this state, and if if they ever decided for whatever reason, I, and I have to admit that abortion must be one of the hardest decisions for a woman to make. I don't think that is ever an easy decision for anyone, but it, should, it belongs to them and their doctors and their family and, and their, their partner, you know, uniquely. It should be not should be part of the government to deny them that to the point where they've got to fly out of state and, and do it at another state. It, it pains me that our nation is being divided now on abortion and non-abortion states, But nonetheless, I am a pro-choice candidate proudly and will continue to fight to get these protections codified into law if I'm elected into Congress. You mentioned also, um, you know, Uvalde and the the tragedy that we saw there and, you know, very much stemming back to an 18 year old who seemed troubled. All the signs were there in a lot of ways. His family recognized some of it. The community recognized some of it. His friends on social media uh, recognized some of it. But that 18-year-old was still able to get his hands on his 18th birthday, not just one, but two weapons of war, two semi-automatic, high-capacity, high-velocity weapons, and over 1,600 rounds of ammunition. He had enough ammunition to put two bullets in every teacher and student in the entire elementary school with him that day. So, of course, uh, this is where an area where ground has really shifted. You know, even the most conservative of folks that I have been uh, speaking with out in the district cannot see the need for an 18-year-old to possess these type of weapons. Cannot see the need of how we're not able to check to see if they have any sort of mental health history. You know, people want people to be trained on these weapons. They want them to have a special licensing to these weapons. And a large segment of people don't even realize, don't even think these weapons should belong in our society at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I had to train quite extensively before they allowed us to carry any kind of weapon like that. Uh, I remember my M16A1 without a firing pin. They would, uh, you couldn't have the firing pin until at least, <laughs> at least six months after training ended. <laughs> but it, it's such a serious issue. I don't mean to make light of it. I, you know, I'm laughing with you about our time in the service. But it's, it's such a serious issue because these are weapons of war. And and I, I sometimes feel like, you know, we, I don't want to get into the, the police response in Uvalde, but the police in general do not want to go up against somebody with an AR-15. They, they They could be outgunned and outmatched. And so I think we are slowly seeing police come over to that side as well. And that could be a way to sort of to bring this up to to more moderate folks who say hey look not even the cops want this to be so easy to get for somebody who's 18 years old because they're the ones who have to you know go in and stop these mass shootings or, or or you know should finally you know you're you brought up in the beginning of the interview your your district is one of the largest ever like in the history of districts it's got 29 counties it would be the what 23rd largest state the union if it was a state the, the
2: 25th 25th yes, ma'am.
0: And and so you're going to need a lot of help covering that ground, just physically speaking. And that help needs to come in the form of campaign donations, people who are willing to text bank and phone bank or knock doors. And before I let you go, I would love for you to tell everyone how they can help you cover all that ground ahead of this very important midterm election.
2: Absolutely, and thank you for this opportunity. Like I said, this district is huge. Uh, back in March, we launched the boots on the ground tour, so it's going to take us to every 20, all of the twenty nine counties, many of them several times over. Uh, but we've committed to it because in, in in West Texas, you can't phone it in, and you can't you cannot zoom it in. You have to go and meet the people where they are, where they drink iced tea right there on the barbed wire fence. So uh, we have some ground to make up. We know that, and that's what we've committed to do. Unfortunately, a lot of driving and you know that uh, the, uh, the price of gas has skyrocketed as well. So if, if folks wanted to help, I always say three ways. Of course, you can help us spread the word. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. Uh, please follow us. Please share our tweets. Please like us. Also, we have LiraForCongress.com. We just got the 2.0 version. So now it has my policy stances. It has my endorsements on there. It has areas where you can see upcoming events. And of course, you can make a contribution uh, right there on the website and also sign up for some future text back banking and phone banking that we're going to do. And I can tell you you're exactly right in a large district like this it might not make sense to door knock in all 29 counties but there's different ways very innovative and very clever ways that we can still connect with the voters that we're going to need to. And that includes more traditional ways like mail but now uh, newer ways like text the text as well, and other other assets that we have available. So uh, this is a full court press. We know that this seat right here is the best opportunity Democrats have to flip a congressional seat from red to blue in Texas this cycle, and we are not taking our foot off the gas. Uh, this is a good one. This is a marquee matchup, and we're trying to let everybody else, we already know that down here in Texas. We're trying to let the rest of the world and the rest of the country know that as well. So thank you again for allowing me to just talk to your audience and let them know about this important race and and how they can help us out.
0: No problem. That's Lira for You've heard it here. Everybody go there. Help how you can. This is a very flippable district. We can help turn Texas blue. And I appreciate your time today. Democratic candidate for Texas's 23rd congressional district. John Lira, it's been great talking to you.
2: Thank you so much, Allison.
0: Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. All right. I got a question for you. Do you feel like your finance software just isn't cutting it? Uh, Do you want the latest and greatest in financial software that will simplify spending and help you save time while keeping you from getting trapped in busy work? That is so important to me. Well, now is the time to check out Ramp. Ramp is a corporate card and financial software suite designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into what companies spend and who is spending it. And with Ramp, you're able to create budgets, issue cards to every employee with very specific limits and restrictions that you can create and automate expense reports so you can stop wasting time at the end of the month. It saves so much time and money and time is money. So it saves money and money. Uh, But Ramp's accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time as well so that you don't have to. The time you save each month on employee expenses will allow you to close your books in days, not weeks. Ramp is easy to use and you can get started, issue virtual physical virtual or physical cards and start making payments in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. And now you get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash beans. Again, that's ramp.com slash beans. R-A-M-P dot com slash beans. You'll be glad you did. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news? Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, Santa photos, Easter bunny photos, emu videos, maybe that you want to send me. Emmanuel, don't. Don't think about it, Emmanuel. Yeah, that was so fun. That fun Oh my video. God, I just saw that today. Oh, it's so great. Anything you want to send us, you can do it by going to <laughs> dailybeatenspot.com and clicking on contact. Don't even think about Emmanuel, it. Emmanuel, don't choose violence today. Don't do it. But don't. <laughs> so, so good. Great. First up from mo pronoun she or they, I always enjoyed Halloween, not just for the candy but in creating costumes with very little income. When my daughter was growing up, she never had a store-bought costume. Her first costume at three was Shirley temple, excellent costume. The little mermaid came out the next year, and she insisted on being Ariel, but the costume was material on top, and she said Ariel wore shells up on top. <laughs> These pictures show that costume with mom as Ursula. Nice. The second was 30 years later when my little girl made her own Aww. Ursula costume. Oh, that's look how- amazing. Boy, she is talented.
1: Seriously, that that 2014 pictures fire, that's awesome.
0: You poor unfortunate souls. Was she like running around everywhere singing that? That's amazing. I sure hope so. Beautiful All right. Thank photos. you so thank much. You. Yes. Thanks for kicking us off with that one.
1: This is from Chris pronoun She and her. Hey, Beans Queens. I'm a fairly new subscriber, but I am definitely in for the long haul. I look forward to your show every day. Thank you for putting the insane information together in a way that I can understand. And the swearing is fabulous, too. So for my pet tax, I'm sending in our two fur babies. The Siamese is Toby. We call her Toby Laroni. The mob boss Toby Laroni The mob boss And we got Trekker Yeah you're doing And Trekker Who is our 17 year old sweetie Thank you for all you do
0: Oh Gorgeous 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 Babies That's a floof Look at the ear floof Little Maine Serious floof there So good Thank you Thank you so much For these cat pictures And welcome Welcome I'm glad you're here For the long haul But this is the last show Everybody we quit today Bye No I'm kidding Uh (laughs) There's never not going to be news, and we'll always be here to bring it to you. Next up from Ann Hunter, pronoun she. I was just about to get into a deep conversation about permanence and always, but I was like, yeah, you know what? It's going to be a while. <laughs> Ann Hunter, pronoun she and her. Hello, ladies of the beans. I'm the mom of the spaghetti squash whoopie kid. Yes. And I recently was able to help in some small way a trans man and his family that have gone through hell related to criminal charges resulting from the bigotry of their neighbors and the investigating police officers who charged them for fighting back when attacked on their own property. While in the county prison, he was denied testosterone. And I learned that it is much more difficult to get a Pennsylvania prison to comply with an endocrinologist's prescriptions for trans individuals than you would think. I, I actually thought it would probably be hard. Fortunately, they are all together again, but unfortunately, he had to plead to offenses he did not commit just to get out of there. I was not his public defender. I only stepped in through our pro bono clinic to assist with power of attorney for his partner to access his bank assets and facilitated communication with his medical team. There are statutes intended to prevent this treatment, but some definitions and requirements are based on outdated understanding of trans people and can be used to block prescribed medical treatment instead. If any of your listeners are or know Pennsylvania legislators or policymakers. Please ask them to help reevaluate these horrific practices that add unnecessary emotional and physical suffering with mood swings, as well as changes in a body's characteristics that increase risk of harassment and harm during an already stressful and hazardous time. Also, essentially, causing people to take plea deals simply to escape torture. On a much lighter note, I just wanted to share photos of my 16-month-old daughter playing outdoors with one of those beverage servers people use for water, lemonade, sangria and which we fill for outdoor water play. If I could send a video when she's studying the lid's concentric circles, you would hear her say "boob." At a girl puts the knob in the middle into her mouth <laughs> as though trying to nurse. My kids and their inanimate <laughs> objects. Oh
1: my god, <laughs> so good! I can Boo. completely. Un- oh my god, that picture! I can completely understand why she would do that.
0: Oh man, yeah. Anyone in Pennsylvania, um, you know, start 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 poking Fetterman about this. Start poking people who are running for office about this. That ha- that can't stand.
1: Absolutely, I agree. Thank you so much for submitting that story as well. I think people need to hear and understand what happens sometimes. And this one is from Crazy Pregnant Dog Lady. She said, dear, and there's no pronouns on that, but we're going to go with crazy pregnant dog lady. Dear AG and DG, a note to thank you for being the voices in many ears that keep me company in a dark time. I'm a longtime listener and have loved having you as friends to commiserate with how fuck the world seems sometimes. I'm seven months pregnant and had to come off the medication that has helped to maintain my mental health for the last number of years in order to ensure our baby boy is born well. Now, there have been a number of challenges with his development, too many to list here, and it's been extraordinarily hard to come off my meds whilst pregnant. Now, I hope my boy knows just how much his mom loves him because this pregnancy has been the hardest period of my mental unwellness I've ever been through. I'm grateful for small mercies each day, starting with my beautiful fur kids, including hearing the voices of my buddies, AG and TG. It's truly helping me survive. So thank you sincerely. This submission got me a little bit. I, I'm, oh my God, I I will say this, then we'll go on to the dogs to perk up. But I I have so much empathy um, for people that have to do this because it's so me- often that someone has to come off of depression medication or other medications that could complicate pregnancy because they want so deeply to have a child, but it, it it does things to their own mental wellness. So I'm I'm wishing you so much strength and thank you for the story and submitting it. And you have a family here obviously in support. So. Thank you again for being so vulnerable in your story. These dogs, by the way, the crazy pregnant dog,
0: lady dogs are adorable. You and me and all the Goldens. Look, they have a tuxedo and some flowers and then a little bonnet. (laughs) They're perfect. They're so happy to be in
1: this picture. They're so happy to be dressed and they're perfect.
0: Well-behaved doggos too. Yes. Next up from Emily, pronouns she and her. Hello again, Beans Queens. I'm writing to share the best news of my year. After waiting two years, my husband and I were finally able to have a wedding reception. Woohoo! I spent the day getting pampered while my friends and my husband set everything up. We finally had professionals take our photos in our wedding attire. I bought a gown for my doggo, too, and she looked so fetching. Haha, wink, wink. Our wedding took place over Zoom two years ago, and no one could hear the ceremony. (laughs) We were finally able to share the very punny vows that our officiant wrote with our chosen family. I have attached my favorite photos from the special day. It's so hard to only choose three. Uh, One final piece of good news I must share is that I finally landed my dream job. Dude, you're killing it, Emily. I know. As I write this, I start next Monday. I couldn't be happier to hone all of my skills as a service forester for Washington State. Cool. Oh, neat. I will also have the opportunity to be a manager for the first time and I will take it seriously. I would like to pay it forward and be the manager I have wished I had over all these years. Oh, Oh, wow. These photos. Whoa. Oh, man.
1: You're also beautiful. A beautiful couple. Emily, that picture of you kissing the dog. My
0: goodness. I know, right? These are models. Be still my heart. What is even happening? That dress is amazing. No. The dog. (laughs) I know. I know. So good. Excellent photos. Well done. Yes.
1: All right. This submission is from Eric. Pronounce he him. A-R-I-C. So I'm saying Eric. Hello to the Daily Beans crew. And thank you, thank you, thank you for helping me stay informed, active, and productive. How's about a Stuff Kids Say School edition for everyone to laugh at? When I was in high school, German class, learning a unit on food, Eric Gwyn was naming types of nuts. He gave us the German names of walnut and hazelnut. Without saying it out too loud in my head first, I replied, If walnut is a and hazelnut is a hazelnut, then peanut is penis.
0: (laughs) The S set is the two S's. That's so great. Yeah, at the end. Now, everyone,
1: teacher included, had a good long laugh at that. Fond memories of teenage awkwardness. Now, for the curious, peanut is actually erdnus. In German, I hope I'm saying that correctly because I know I'm going to hear it if I'm not. For Pod Pet Tax, I'll share for probably from 17 different people all pronouncing "Ardness" differently. Now, mm-hmm. for Pod Pet Tax, I'll share pics of my two adoptable foster cats: Bootsy, orange tabby, and Felicia, mackerel tabby. Felicia was recently diagnosed with diabetes, but handling it like a champ. The rescue is Fancy Cats and Dogs Rescue Team in Northern Virginia, who has lots more cats and doggos looking for their forever homes. Please check them out. And again, that is Fancy Cats and Dogs Rescue Team in Northern Virginia. The last picture is a comic I drew back in the late, um, sorry, 2019, in the late 1900s. The last (laughs) last picture is a comic I drew back in late 2019, inspired by the MSW and Bean saying Squid Pro Quo. Let me try that again. Squid Pro Crow.
0: Yeah, got it. There we go.
1: I don't know what Crow did, but it seems only Squid is impressed. I meant to send it back then, but 2020 happened. Anyway, here you go. Thanks again. And this is really good. Eric, you're
0: really talented. The crow is bowing. He's got some money. The squid gives him a 10 and everyone else is like, meh. "Eh." Nice. That is, that is, yes, all birds matter. Look at this kitty. Bag of kitty. No. In the upside down floof. Look it. So, so Sweet. Everyone, thank you for sending these in. We had a long, long news weekend and we really needed your good news and we still need it. So please send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And uh, yeah, we'll kick off the next week of talking about how to pronounce peanut in German. And I look forward to that. Did you have any final thoughts before we get out of here, Dana? No final thoughts for today. I'm just happy to be back. I missed you, my friend. I miss you so much too. I'm glad you're back. And no, we did not just fire and or kill Dana. She's here.
1: <laughs> and when I'm gone next week, I need you to remember I have not
0: been fired and or killed either. Yeah, we're gonna have to just keep saying it every day. You're gone yeah. next week, you're gone next week, you're gone next week. Yeah. I will be here though. The beans will happen. Um, I'm gonna try to sneak in a trip to DC this week to see if I could see that primetime hearing in person. I will let everyone know as how that develops. And we'll be back tomorrow. Oh, and right now you can hear the last episode. Of the MSW Book Club covering Ellie Mistal's book, Allow Me to Retort. And it's with Ellie Mistal. He's answering patrons' questions. And it's an excellent episode. It's like 45 minutes of Ellie just going off and swearing and being funny and rad nice. and teaching us about law. So Sounds definitely awesome. check that out, MSW Book Club, wherever you get your pods. Tomorrow I'll be back. And so will Dana. Don't worry. And <laughs> until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health. But Blue Over Q, I've been AG. media.